0: I had to look back in my notes, I I keep this handy little journal, you see me kind of walk up here with it every week, and um, I I keep all of my notes for sermons, I had to go back and look, and in February, on February 9th, we started walking through what we called the greatest sermon series, it's just the Sermon on the Mount, Uh, it's a sermon that Jesus taught early on in his ministry, and February seems like such a long time ago. Um, in February, we were not thinking this is what April's going to look like and into May and who knows when. Uh, we just had been kind of looking at, hey, what, what can we walk through as a church? You guys kind of know we, we like to go kind of verse by verse and just walk through it. And it's like, man, I'm super excited about this series uh, because there's just so much to it. There's times where Jesus in like eight, nine, ten words will say something and you just kind of have to take a step back and go, oh my goodness, that's, that's heavy and that's a lot. And it's all not led up to this moment, but as we've walked through this sermon, we, we've, we've pretty much covered one chapter now since February. Um, in that time, we know Jesus didn't just preach this to be an ethical thing. There's a lot of ethics within the Sermon on the Mount, but it wasn't just to be a better moral person. Really, what Jesus was coming to do was to take the religious system of the day, which was broken and corrupt and had added and twisted the law to where people couldn't understand it and tried to make it about, you've heard me say, clean up the in- outside, but the inside, the heart was still hurting. Um, a lot of it has led up to today's message. Um, it's not the pinnacle of the Sermon on the Mount, but it is a, it's, it's kind of where Jesus breaks out the big clubs and hits, hits one right down the fairway. This one is talking about loving your enemies. Um, this can be a hard message for some people. Um, and even today, it's kind of difficult because right now, how do we love our enemies? That's, that's one of the questions we're going to have to ask today because we're kind of stuck in homes and you know, we're, we're distancing from work and things like that for some of you. And you know, it can be made even more difficult in the situation that we find ourselves in. But when we learn to love our enemies, when, when, when love invades that, it can be a beautiful scene. May, 9, er, May 17th of 2019 um, had the potential to be a pretty dark day uh, because on that day, that morning, a student at Park Rose High School in Oregon walked onto that campus with a weapon, a loaded gun. And from security footage, you can see the student kind of make their way, and they, they walked into a classroom. And sadly, we've, we've heard that story way too many times, um, and it, it doesn't end well. Um, and we know that there is an enemy a, a force of darkness out there the student walked into this classroom and something happened very quickly um, Kenyon Lowe who is the high school football coach and track coach was former wide receiver at the University of Oregon saw the student walk in and reacted very quickly didn't hesitate took the weapon was able to take that weapon from that student moved that student into the hallway and a security camera caught all of this on footage. He hands the weapon to another teacher and he turns to this student who could have carried out just an absolutely heinous act and he hugged the student. And it's on camera and it's this unbelievable scene where he just, he just hugs him. He doesn't let go and it's not a wrestling thing. He's, he just said, look, I, I, I knew the student. I knew the student had some, some issues and he said, I, I know a lot of students don't think things through until it's done. And you can't take some of that back. And in that moment, I just—I told him, I was like, you're loved. And I just hugged him. And you, you watch on the security camera, this man just hold this student. And the student was arrested, and there was some, some mental help that they were able to get. But to watch love invade that scene. And for it not to turn into something that's on the news of we're, we're, we're counting a death toll, but instead we're seeing this act of kindness and love towards an enemy was a beautiful scene. And Jesus, as he's kind of worked his way through this message, he's, he's given us the Beatitudes, he's, he's talked about salt and light, and then he, he kind of addressed issues like anger and, and lust and things like that. And, and it kind of builds up into Matthew chapter 5 and Verse 43. That's where we're going to start today. We're going to read a couple of verses, and then we'll come back and kind of talk about it. In verse 43 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. So that's a pretty powerful statement that Jesus leads off in when he says, you have heard that it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Like if we were to to summarize that statement, we would say this, love like God and live out love. Because Jesus is going to tackle something that was, very prevalent in that day. When, when he says that, he's quoting part of an Old Testament verse, love your neighbor. Um, but the hate your enemy is not included in the Old Testament. That wasn't the commandment. But what had happened was some of the teachers of the law had told their followers, okay, if it says love your enemy, then the opposite can be true as well. You, or you Love your neighbor, you hate your enemy. And you have to understand kind of the context and culture that goes on right now in Jesus' day. Um, you and I may at times struggle with enemies. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But we, we, we know we have enemies out there in the world. But when, when he says it, these people looked, and they looked around from a cultural standpoint. They looked around from a just you know, society standpoint and said, yeah, I have enemies. As a Jew, they looked at people who were not Jewish and they considered those people, that is not my neighbor, Um, that is my enemy. They looked at an occupying country like Rome that had come in about 100 years before and said, that is my enemy, they have taken my freedoms, they are taking my money, and I look at those people and I don't feel that I'm called to love them. I love my neighbors, I love my Jewish community, I love my tribe within that even more. And I look at outsiders And these teachers said, you look at those people and you don't have to love them. And yet Jesus shows up and makes the statement, you shall love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus just changes it. And to kind of really get the whole of this, we, we have to understand a couple of things. We have to understand love, we have to understand neighbor, and we have to understand enemy. Now, let's start with the love aspect. In the English language, you've, I've said this before from the stage, um, English is kind of a weird language when it comes to love because we have one word for love. And so I can say, I love my spouse. I can also say, I love tacos. Now, surely we don't love those on the same level, but I, I really love my spouse. <laughs> I, I really love tacos, too. Um, that one word is really hard for us to convey what is meant behind it because we know we don't love some inanimate object, even as delicious as tacos are, as much as you would love your spouse or your children. Well, in other languages, they break the word love down into different words. In Hebrew, they had three different words for it, rega, ahava, and And In Greek, there were four words for love. Um, the first one is this. It's eros, um, E-R-O-S. Um, it is a a physical love. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who all sitting in the living rooms right now, and so I'm not going to try and get into a, a lot of biology and save you some conversations at home. But the first one is eros. It's where we get the word erotic from. And the interesting thing, it's never used in scripture, um, even when talking about that. Like it, the scriptures don't use that word um, because the writers understood, like within the Greek and Roman culture, that word had been so carnalized and had such different connotation behind it that wasn't pure. They chose different words to describe that. Even when they were translating it into Latin, they still carried that over. Like That word just doesn't appear in the Greek language, which is what the New Testament was written in. The second word for love is uh, storge. It's a family love. It's the love that when you use that word, that would be the description between a husband and a wife, or, You know, between you and your spouse, between you and your children, your children towards you. Um, and and it's interesting that word's also never used in scripture um, it could have been it didn't it didn't carry a negative connotation um, the writers just chose to use different words to describe that the third word is Philea. this one is used in scripture uh, in fact when Jesus is talking with Peter at the end of Matthew he, he goes back and forth with these words um, and Peter starts to pick up on the difference between some of these words but Philea is a it's a strong attraction um, it's, it's, a lot of times it's used as like brotherly love. Um, and, it, and it carries a lot of weight with it. Um, it's where we get words like philanthropy, um, which is the love of men. Uh, or philharmonic, uh, love of music. Or anglophile. Now I read that word this week as I was studying. And I went, I know what that word is. The only reason I know what that word is, is because that's the level of boredom that we have arrived at in my house. Last week, ESPN showed seven hours of spelling bee competitions. And for some reason, we sat down, and it was like a, it was like a train wreck. Like, we, we wanted to stop watching, but we just couldn't because some of the contestants watching them go through and their process and how they made a spelling bee so intense and angst-filled and, can I have the definition? Can you use it in a sentence? All these questions, like, we couldn't turn away. And there's one girl, she got this word, and she knew, she was explaining the definition before the guy ever could even tell her. And she spelled it out, and it's, it's a love for England. Um, but that's where we get the word Anglophile. Um, that's the level of boredom we're at these days, people. But there's a fourth word for love in the Greek language. And a lot of you have probably heard it before it's agape, it's a divine love. And this is the word that Jesus uses here. And so when he says, love your neighbor, or he says, agape your neighbor, or in agape your enemy. It's a divine love. This is a love, and it, it, it loves not because of any variable. It's not because love was put in, I'm going to show agape love. This is a love that is loving towards the unlovely. This is a love that's even loving towards an object that is hateful back to the person who's trying to love. This is a love for no reason at all in in some ways. And this is the divine love that Jesus says, that's the love. I want you to love your enemies even when they don't want you to love them. I want you to love your enemies even when they persecute you. It's not just your neighbor. Like neighbor in the sense, later Jesus would kind of illustrate, uh, You know, who is our neighbor becomes that question. Well, it's not just the people that are in your circle. It's not just the people that physically live next door to you. Our neighbor is the world. We know that as believers, that word neighbor gets expanded to everyone, even those that persecute you, even enemies. Now, do we have enemies? We, we may not have them in the sense that they did in Jesus' culture, but we know we have people that they can get under your skin. Um, they, they know the things to say to, to get you riled up. Uh, and sometimes they're people that we love really closely. <laughs> like that's, that's a reality. Uh, we also know that there are people that persecute us. Um, he says, pray for those who persecute you. Right now in the world, persecution is happening on an unbelievable scale. Most of us in the Western world just don't experience that. But there are countries um, where Christianity is, I mean, persecution isn't just a I don't like you. It becomes physical. Every year, about 100,000 Christians are martyred in present modern day. I mean, that's the size. Imagine a massive football stadium. Imagine Cowboys Stadium on Super Bowl Sunday, filled to the brim. That's the number of believers that are persecuted and killed for their belief in Jesus Christ. And that's a heavy thing. And Jesus is going to understand persecution unbelievably. We know that. Like, he came, his own people despised him, is how Scripture would say it. He knew that people would, I mean, constantly, time and time again in Scripture, people tried to kill Jesus before he was crucified. Um, But it wasn't his time. And so sometimes, I love there's one verse where it says, in passing between their midst, like they were trying to grab him to throw him off a clifftop, and he just kind of bump, 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 jukes everybody out and is on his way. Um, and then later at the appointed time he's crucified he understood persecution he understood these people understand persecution he looks out and he sees a jewish people that are under you know roman rule who are under terrible teachers and the pharisees and the scribes and pharisees and he still says i want you to love these people and i want you to love them in a divine way i want you to pray for them See, this is where divine love, agape love, that we are supposed to have for every person, it goes beyond just non-retaliatory. It has to have action to it. And it's amazing that Jesus says, hey, I want you to pray for your enemies. Because that's a really powerful thing that we know as believers we have the ability to do. We have the ability to go before the throne of God and pray to the creator who created everything to the God who made Mars and stars billions of miles away, to the God who made intricate little cells and formed us, we still have the ability to go before him and say, God, I, I need you. And some prayers are easy, right? Like it's really easy to pray for, God, I just want to say thank you. Like, we know that's a part of prayer, and to go and say, God, thank you for the way you've blessed me. Because, like, right now, like, I I have my health and and I have my job, and it's easy to say a prayer of thanksgiving. It's easy to pray for those that you love. It's easy for me to look at my children and say, God, grow these boys into godly men because I love them. I love them deeply. I love them with that Sturge love, and I love them with the divine love. But then some prayers are a little more difficult. When you've got that coworker, that just won't stop talking (laughs) or you go somewhere and someone's rude to you maybe you're one of an essential worker that's out there right now and man someone just came in with a bad attitude and that kind of got word vomited on you like it can be really difficult to pray for some of those and yet Jesus doesn't he didn't say I suggest that you pray for your enemies and pray for those that persecute you he didn't say when it's comfortable I want you to love your enemy when you feel like maybe it would make the situation better. He just comes out and says, hey, you are going to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. I get that's that's hard. Like that's where this is not this is not casual Christianity. The Sermon on the Mount is the farthest thing from casual Christianity. If you want some good reading, uh Bonhoeffer has a wonderful it's a he's a German theologian um who died during World War II because of his belief for Christ, he writes a lot about this. I mean, in, in the 30s, he was writing about just comfortable Christianity. That's, oh, I go to church when I want, and I pray when I want, and if I, if I want to give, I give. If I want to serve, I serve. Like, Jesus takes that and says there, there is just no part of that within this. You can't have a statement like love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you and have that as a casual thing. This is a mighty call to believers to love and live it out. And so it's looking at that person that you know by name, you're probably thinking of them right now, and saying, I'm going to commit to pray for this person. I'm going to love them even when they don't want to be loved because that's what agape love calls me to do. It calls me to love that which is unlovable. I'm still going to do it. It requires a great amount of faith to say, look, I'm going to love this person. I'm going to love them in a way that can be tangible. I'm going to love them in a way that's spiritual. Like this is a great and mighty call to believers. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you because we have to ask the question, do we want to love like Jesus Christ loved the world? And I hope we do. Sometimes that's going to be us taking a step back and going, okay, it's not about me. I'm going to need to be the bigger person in this relationship and approach it and say, hey, I love you and I'm going to continue to love you even if you don't like that. And sometimes it's reminding ourselves that Christ loved us like that. Because if you're in Christ, if you would say, hey, I'm, I'm a believer, there was a time where spiritually you were dead. And by your sinful nature, you were an enemy to God. Our sin runs into God's holiness, and it just stops right there. Because God's holiness is way too big. And because of our sinful nature, we were enemies towards God. And yet God looked at us, and a a lot of the stories are, man, I didn't want to love God. I was angry, I was mad, I wanted no part of that. I wanted to live my own life. It was all about me. I loved me some me. We were unloving towards him, and yet he poured out love. We celebrated that last week because that love was poured out on the cross. Agape love, is. there is no better example of what divine love looks like than when Jesus Christ went to the cross When he laid down his life, he was looking throughout all of time and seeing us, seeing us today in our homes and going, I love you and I'm going to show you that love. I'm going to pour it out on you and we have the opportunity to experience grace and forgiveness and salvation. That love was poured out on us even when we didn't want it. And by grace Spirit gives faith and hearts are changed. And we go, I I understand now, I need that. And so if you're sitting there today and you're listening, you could be in your car, you could be at your house, you could be watching on a computer phone, whatever. If you're sitting there going, man, I've never experienced that love before, know that that love was poured out for you. It was made possible through Jesus Christ. His divine love can change you. And with that in mind, look in verse 46. Matthew five forty-six. it says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He kind of gives a little more tangible aspect of this. We'd say this, our love towards others is what sets us apart. If we have experienced that divine love, if we've been made into a new creation, it's what sets us apart from the world and makes it possible for us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Because as believers, we have a couple of claims. We have a couple of claims that should make us into something different, and it makes it possible for us to look at an enemy and show them love. As believers, we claim and do have something that others don't have. We were renewed, and we were redeemed by Christ. Sometimes we need to be reminded about that. How is it possible that I can love my enemy? Well, remember, you were loved. Like, and you were made into a new creation. You were you were you were bought at a heavy price. Like Christ has made you something new, He'd taken your heart of stone, given you a heart of flesh. With that comes the possibility of being able to love an enemy, to be able to pray, and and actually mean it when we pray, pray for someone who persecutes you. Because we've been made new, because we've been redeemed through Jesus Christ, it's what sets us apart, and the world should see that. We have the power that the world does not. We know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Like, we have the power to love because Christ has indwelled us with that, He's made it possible for us to love an enemy and pray for someone. We know that we have the Spirit of God within us. We know that we have a better future. Because of these things that we know, uh, we know that, hey, we've been set apart. And if I've been set apart, it's possible for me to do some of these things. And so that's why he says, hey, for those, uh, do not even the tax collectors do the same? Like, if you just love those who love you, what, what, what does that really show? And he uses this example of a tax collector. And this is what, when you mention those words in Jesus' time, you got people's attention. Everyone's head popped up and they're like, hmm, he's getting serious. Because tax collectors in that day, um, I'll put it this way, no one sent a tax collector a Christmas card. Like, they didn't get those. Uh, tax collectors in Jesus' day were commissioned by the Roman government the Roman government would come into the, to Judea and say, hey, this is the amount of tax that this country owes us. And they would hire these people to go and collect those taxes. Those people would hire people under them to, to go out, and it was just kind of a big pyramid scheme scam. And they would go out and say, hey, Billy, um, you owe the Roman government $100, but I'm going to need 150 from you. Well, that's not fair. Well, Here's what's going to happen. If you don't give me 150, I'm going to tell them you didn't give me anything, and then they're going to send soldiers. They're going to arrest you, beat you, and uh, that might be the light end of it. And so you were forced to pay that, which meant tax collectors were not liked in that society. Um, They were looked at as thieves. Uh, They were hated. That's why Matthew, like it was a big amazement that Matthew became a disciple because he was a tax collector. And yet Jesus says, hey, guess what tax collectors do? They hang out with other tax collectors. Like they they love other tax collectors because that's really all they've got, but they still love those. So if you just love the people around you, what has set you apart? Like we have been called to love those outside of our circle. We're called to greet those outside our circle. He gives the example of just greeting people. He says, if you only greet those that you love, what has set you apart? Even the Gentiles do that. Like, they look at people that look like them and say, hey, why don't you come into my house? And Jesus says, hey, I want us to take this a step further. We've got to learn to be welcoming to everyone. And that's one thing I love at this church, and that's one thing I miss and cannot wait to get back to. Um, This is a very welcoming place. You've heard me say, like, the first words someone needs to hear when they walk through those doors is welcome. Because we have been called, I I don't care what they look like. I don't care what baggage they brought in. We've been called to welcome and greet and love people. Why? Because we have been set apart. The expectation here is because we are loved, we are going to love others. And so we do that in a lot of different ways. We forgive. Like I know at times that can be a difficult thing to process. But man, we have been forgiven of much. Never, ever, ever forget that. We have been forgiven of so much that it sent our Savior to the cross. And so we forgive, and we love, and we let bygones, be. We, we, we let it go into the past. And sometimes we've got to process through that. But as believers, what sets us apart is we understand, I have been forgiven of much, therefore I am to forgive much. We meet physical needs. That's where in the passage before, Jesus says, look, God makes the sun shine on the just and the unjust. He sends rain over here, and he sends rain over here. He meets physical needs, therefore we do as well. So we reach out, and we, even though people may get under our skin a little bit, maybe we don't understand why they do things a certain way, we still try and physically meet those needs. Even yesterday, I'm not saying these people are enemies in any way, but we, we still had our pantry. It looked a little different, and man, South Point, I want to say thank you. Uh, you guys stepped up in a lot of different ways. We had to really redo how we do that. Um, We fed almost 200 people yesterday. Um, That's a big outreach. And we did it a little different. Um, It was kind of difficult to go and buy food for that many people. Um, And so we did some gift cards and we, we did have some food donations that had come in. And so we were still able to bless people and physically meet needs. And some of those people, we just don't know that well. Like I don't know what their story is, but it doesn't stop us. Like, and so thank you. We had people that gave so so well to make that possible. Um, And so thank you for doing that because that's what sets us apart. We meet physical needs. We give people time. We give grace knowing that grace was given to us. And so sometimes that's us giving people a little bit of time to process our love because sometimes it can be that quick. Man, I've had conversations with people that were very hostile to Christianity and an hour later, they're a believer in Christ. Like I'll never forget sitting in, a, in Venezuela and of all the melting pot, I was talking to a guy who was from somewhere in the Middle East who had moved to Venezuela, was engaged to a girl from Venezuela. And he and I just, we were talking like, the Quran and, and the Bible, and I'm, I'm reading Scripture, and he and his fiance, they are both really far from God. An hour later, like I don't know if she was his fiance anymore because she accepted Christ and uh, he didn't. But you know what? I was wanting to meet with him the next day, like give people time, give people grace. That's what sets us apart. We don't just force it right then, but we just go, "Hey, I'm going to give you the time for God to do His thing, for God to convict where He needs to convict, to heal where He needs to heal," and. We show no partiality. Like what sets us apart is we're not looking and saying, I'm only going to love this group. No, we show no partiality. And here's why I know this stuck for Christianity. Because Jesus says all this, and then years later, James would write this. In James chapter 2, James says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit at my feet, have you not made the distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? So we're set apart in the fact that I mean, we're, not, we're not making distinctions. Like as, as South Point Church churches, we kind of talk about who we are. We want to live that out. We want to show love to people that may initially be hostile to Christianity. We want to pray for those that might make statements about Christ that we don't like. And so when people come in, we, we follow this as well. Like we're not making distinctions when people come in. We're not making distinctions on race. Um, you guys, if you've been a part of our church, you know that's one that I can get pretty riled up on. Uh, It does not matter what color someone is when they walk in. Uh, And I've heard of places where it does, and that's just not Christ-like. And so we want to be a place that is diverse. Like, we want this to be a place that when someone walks in, it doesn't matter what their skin color is, the first words they're hearing are welcome and I hate that we have to say that in 2020, but I want to make that really clear. Like, we are all about multi generational, multi ethnic, and being the body of Christ. We're not making distinctions on gender. Like, when it comes to salvation, God's not China. Like, I'm, that's a, this is a weird statement to make right now with all that, but I'm talking about the, like the, the, the male and female child thing. Like, God's not looking at that going, well, I don't really want to save this guy, but, you know, I got too many girls, so I got to save him. Like, we, we don't look at that as different when someone walks in here. We don't look at finances as something. Like, he, James uses the example, like, you, you get somebody that walks in, and, you know, they're dressed really nicely, and at the same time somebody comes in, and, man, they're just looking a little down on their luck. We're not looking at that one person going, oh, we, we definitely want him to be here. Uh, we make the joke if somebody walks in in a suit at South Point, it's probably their first time, so we should greet them because uh, we're a little more laid back when it comes to that. But we don't make distinctions on finance. Like, we tell people in the member class, like, when you give, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't give you, like, you don't get special emails or secret access or anything like that. We give because we know that we've been blessed. And we don't look at people based on their finances and go, well, I'm going to love this person more versus that person. We don't do it with age. Like, we've got young people at South Point, we've got older people at South Point, and we love all of them. That's what we have been called to do. We don't make any of these distinctions. We let our love overcome our desire to do some of those things. Because at the core of it, if we're not careful, we do have a desire to go, well, that person looks more like me, so I want to to gravitate towards them. This person does not look like me, so I want to gravitate away from them. We let our divine love overcome that desire. And when we do it, we watch the body of Christ come together. And so as we are out and about this week, whatever that looks like for you, let those words of Christ ring loudly. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Because he says at the end, another powerful statement, it says you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now when we read that, there's that, oh man, I'm not perfect. <laughs> Jesus was showing the reminder that, hey, you want to live completely by the law, you've got to adhere to all of it. You've got to be perfect. And thank goodness grace is extended through Christ. But we're still called to a high calling. We're going to love our enemies. We're going to pray for those who persecute us because one of the most beautiful things to watch is when that divine love that has changed us changes one of those people. So let's pray. God, we love you. God, everybody's got somebody in their life that they may not want to pray for that person. And God, I pray that you would just kind of convict where you need to convict. Soften hearts where you need to soften them. God, we would be a body of believers that pray for those that we really don't want to pray for at times. God, that we would be loving because you have loved us deeply. God, if there's someone listening right now and they're just wrestling with where they're at with you, I pray that they would know the gospel, that You are a holy God, and yes, we are a sinful people. But through your Son, Jesus Christ, they can be made new. Turn away from their old self and say, I want to follow Christ. And so if someone is at that point today, God, I pray you'd be all over them, and they would just say, I want to follow Jesus Christ. And in being set apart, continue to love others as well. We ask all this in Christ's name, amen.